Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as the daughter of tennis players and a budding <laughs> volleyball player? Nike. Of course. That's yeah, an easy one. Um, yeah, I had lots of Nike gear. My parents lived in Nike gear. Definitely Nike. And it was a great one to, to be affiliated with. What do you love most about Nike? It's the same message. It's an empowerment message, right? It's, you know, everyone is an athlete. Just do it. Um, and I think, you know, ironically, they're very relevant messages for uh, the world that I'm in now as well. And when it comes to learning, everyone is a lifelong learner and just do it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it. And the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Kim Kaldbeck, chief marketing officer of Coursera, the nine-year-old online learning platform founded by two Stanford computer science professors. Coursera is now one of the world's largest online learning platforms. It collaborates with 200-plus universities and companies. You can take 5,100 courses and earn one of 25 degrees. Coursera went public in March 2021. Its market cap is just under $5 billion. Revenue is about $400 million, And nearly 90 million people have taken courses on the platform. My guest, Kim, has been with Coursera six years and has been CMO for three of those six years. Before that, she worked five years at Facebook. Kim studied sociology and psychology at Harvard and earned her MBA at Stanford. This is my conversation with Coursera's Kim Kaldbeck. Kim, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You are our first guest in the online learning category, so I am so looking forward to this discussion, and I think our listeners will as well, because it's one of the most dynamic categories in the world. And I have to start with the first question. With your crazy schedule, do you have time to take Coursera sessions? (laughs) I do. I do. It's actually one of the things that we talk about a lot as a company in trying to dog food our own product. Um, And so I've both taken courses as kind of an individual learner. And we actually use Coursera in our own skill-up program at Coursera. Um, So we actually have uh, skill-based learning programs that we use for our teams. So I've done it that way as well. What's been your favorite experience so far? I know it's hard to pick from all the children, but for yourself (laughs) personally, what have you really, really enjoyed the most? Yeah. So on the personal side, I have two. One is a parenting course from an instructor at Yale that's amazing. And as a mom of three children, it was very helpful. Um, the second is the science of well-being, which is a fan favorite um, from Lori Santos, actually at Yale as well. Um, so it was two great, great courses. And that was one of our top ones during the pandemic as well. Keep everyone a little bit more sane. Um, and then from a business perspective, uh, one of my favorites has been a marketing analytics course that uh, much of our team has taken. Uh, that was a really great kind of survey of all the different ways analytics is used in marketing. So those are some of my favorites. So for the aspiring CMOs listening, 
the marketing analytics sounds good. Anything else you'd recommend from your vast portfolio for those who want to become you know, better brand builders, better marketers who are listening? Yeah, there's some great uh, brand building courses, specifically there's social media marketing in particular. Um, there's a Facebook uh, digital marketing professional certificate that allows anyone with no prior background to get job ready for a social media marketing role uh, in six to eight months. And uh, it's a really great survey course of the latest in social media marketing. So that's a really great one as well. Um, but really, it'll allow you to experience everything from business strategy all the way through to specific marketing skills. I also did a great SEO course. Um, marketing is one of those disciplines that has so many different individual skill sets that ladder up to the whole. So it's a great way to get familiar with, with a lot of different skills. AI for everyone is another one that I think is incredibly relevant for marketing. Uh, that it's another great one from our founder, Andrew Ring. Wow. My, my marketing director, Liz Keating, wants you to know she has taken several courses and it's helped her big time. Awesome. You know, with our SEO, with our website build, with with all of our digital marketing. Yep. So she wants to pass along a thanks to you and your team. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. So you have had a very big 2021. You got a B Corp certification in February. You went public in March. You're growing revenue. I think your latest quarter was almost 40% after a crazy strong 2020, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And you, in my opinion, have one of the greatest purpose expressions in the world. You're, you're trying to create a world where everyone, anyone, anywhere can transform their life through learning. So I just have to ask you, Kim, has this been, we're eight months into it, nine months into it, is, has this been the best year in your professional life? <laughs> I, I would have to say so. Um, it's been pretty remarkable. And I think one of the things that's made it the most enjoyable is I've been at Coursera for over six years now. And so when I started uh, myself and one of my counterparts on our team. It was, you know, us and a team of five in marketing trying to figure out and teach the company what marketing could do. And so it's, um, it makes me that much more appreciative of where we are today, having been through that journey um, and seeing the team and the impact of it grow. What are you most proud of this past year? Definitely how Coursera has been able to be really nimble and pivot to serve the world in ways that no one kind of knew were going to be important over the last year. So uh, I think one of the signs of a really strong company and leadership team and team in general is one that can respond quickly to the changing world around us. And so um, once the pandemic hit and universities started to close their doors to students around the world, Coursera was able to launch a number of uh, response initiatives, the largest being Coursera's campus response initiative, which enabled any impacted university to offer the Coursera catalog for free uh, to students all around the world, as well as um, a, a enabled students to directly take courses for free. And so it was a way that Coursera could jump in during a really important time. And as a response, over 4,000 campuses around the world joined that program and we reached 2.7 million students. And similarly, we were also able to respond, you know, as the pandemic hit and people started to lose their jobs, um, and there was a big workforce recovery initiative. We were able to launch Coursera uh, Workforce Recovery Initiative, which allowed us to work through governments uh, and different agencies to offer Coursera for free to those who are unemployed. Um, and so that was able to reach people in 100 countries around the world. Uh, over a million citizens were enrolled in over 8 million courses. So it was definitely what I'm most proud of is 
the heart and soul of the team um, to respond and make an impact in that moment. Kim, let's pause on that for a minute because, you know, a, a purpose is just talk unless it comes to life. And those are mm-hmm. two very symbolic actions you took over the past year, one for students and one for people who are, you know, kind of rebooting their life because they, they're, they've lost a job or whatever the situation might be. Can you take us a little bit behind the scenes with your leadership team about how did you make that decision? What was the catalyst? How long it took you to agree on it? Mm-hmm. Because you know this, this, you're doing this at the same time you're getting ready to go public, right? So there's yeah. other stuff on your agenda, <laughs> yeah. and these don't seem to be big, big revenue events for you, right? Right? They're very generous of you. So take us a little bit back behind the scenes on those decisions. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that's amazing about Coursera is, is the employees are attracted to Coursera for the mission, and it's in all of our DNA, and that starts, you know, with. Jeff Magincalda, our CEO, who truly joined Coursera, I think, as more of a calling um, uh, than anything else. And so uh, the pandemic hit, and I'll really take you behind the scenes. I was on maternity leave, (laughs) um, and it was my first week back when the world shut down, so I never made it back to the office. Um, But my first meeting was was jumping into discussion, and I think um, our CEO, Jeff, and our chief product officer and our chief enterprise officer chief content officer all got together um, and basically said, we need to do something. How can we, how can we help? Um, And that was immediately the orientation. Um, The teams within a week, um, kind of over the weekend, 24 seven actually went to build out this uh, product experience that could enable um, the self-serve ability for people to come to Coursera to take advantage of these, uh, all these offers. Um, Our marketing team mobilized really quickly to make sure that we could get the word out about them, build the, you know, top of funnel landing pages, figure out the um, nurture flows that would, you know, all these different audiences would go through to get into their learning programs. Um, And so it was really a matter of, you know, I think the decision was made in a day um, and, uh, and then, you know, the, the work was done in a matter of a couple of weeks and we just, everyone kind of dropped everything else to, focus on getting this out the door and make it happen. Um, you know, there were some discussions at certain points of time of, you know, what we went into it, understanding the risk from a revenue perspective. So we didn't, you know, not look at that at all. Um, and there, there, you know, there, we knew that there would be a short-term trade-off, but we just felt that, um, especially in line with our mission and our business model, the more people get exposed to Coursera at this time and, and, um, the more we can show what's possible with Coursera, you know, longer term, we're going to benefit from that. Um, and so, you know, we have, you know, lots of, of customers who um, came in through those initiatives and are becoming long-term customers as well. So you were doing this after your third child was born. <laughs> so how, how did you and your spouse or partner manage three youngsters, the pandemic and <laughs> And these crazy things you were doing to help your help people. Yeah. Well, luckily we do have a partnership in our marriage. So my husband was definitely a key player as well. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have support of our uh, nanny as well. So that definitely got us through. But there were definitely days, don't get me wrong, where, um, you know, it's impossible to be doing 10 things at once. And, you know, we're not my finest days in one domain or the other. So I just tried to take the approach of, you know, everyone's going through this. We're all doing our best and we can only do what we can do and try not to be too hard on myself about it. 
tell, tell me a little bit about, you went public in March and tell us a little bit about what that's like for a CMO as you prepare to go public. How did your mm-hmm. work change? How did your marketing change, if at all? Yeah. So what, what was that? Take us through that experience and what you learned. Great. Um, so luckily, I'm part of a pretty experienced leadership team. So a number of our leadership team, including our CEO, had gone through the IPO process before. Um, and I'm lucky enough that they took the approach of keep growing the business, stay focused on the business, and we'll pull you in when we need you, basically. Um, uh, and so that was helpful. But it was obviously a, a you know all hands on deck as we got closer. Um, it was actually a relatively we had a relatively short time frame um, where we were we were kind of decided to go public and then to prepare for that. Um, and so there was a, a you know three month period where there are a number of different activities that we were undertaking. Um, and I think one of the biggest learnings that I had is we had um, at the end of 2020 gone through a big brand refresh and we had clarified all of our messaging pillars and our positioning and all of that. And so when it came to looking at the S1, that was the best asset because I literally just had all of our messaging docs for different stakeholders in front of me and was, you know, pulling from this one and that one and putting it all together. Uh, so we we had done a lot of foundational work that made it a lot easier when we got to that point. So it made, I mean, it definitely helped. Is your job different now that you're public? I mean, you have to report quarterly and, you know, that comes with more transparency and, mm-hmm. and you know, you have, you have more stakeholders now. So has, the, has your job changed? To be honest, not a whole lot. So uh, the amount that we can share and the timeframes of which we, when we can share them has changed. But in terms of the day-to-day work and what we're trying to do, it's definitely, you know, focus on growing the business and take a long-term view. I think we intentionally tried to make sure that investors interested in Coursera understood that the mission that we're here to serve is much bigger than next quarter's financial results and uh, hopefully have investors who believe in that long-term vision too. So this has been the best year of your professional life. Did anything <laughs> not go, did anything not go well? It looks like it's been a pretty good year <laughs> if I look at all measures of, you know, organizational health and business growth and and uh, and some tremendous milestones. Did anything not go well? Um, uh, I'm definitely a glass half full person. So when you say it like that, I mean, I, I, you know, I definitely focus more on the, all of the things that you just mentioned that we were able to accomplish. Um, there's definitely still a lot we need to do, right? So this is not, it was not IPO and we're done. It's IPO and we're just starting. And one of the things that we talk a lot about is, um, this, the marketing uh, frame for the year was, you know, when you're at the top of your game, change your game. And what that was about is we're now playing at an even higher league. And so um, how do we elevate our performance, our teamwork, how we're able to accomplish our goals uh, now that we are, you know, on an even bigger stage and our aspirations are much larger than what we've been able to accomplish so far. Um, so I think more in terms of uh, all the things that are yet to be done um, and how we're going to tackle those. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com.
We've been talking about 2021. I want to flip back to 2015, six okay. years ago, when you, well, if you can remember that, it's yes. a long time. <laughs> uh, you were at Facebook and you left Facebook to join Coursera as director mm-hmm. of brand product market, brand and product marketing. Mm-hmm. So you left a very large company and joined a small startup, and it was three years old at the time, I guess, three or four years old. Mm -hmm. Marketing was new. So tell us that story. I mean, you were on a big rocket ship at Facebook, (laughs) you know, posting great numbers. And why why you made that choice? Was it difficult? Was the transition difficult? So tell us a bit about what you experienced in 2015 when you made that leap. Yes. So I uh, always knew I was a marketer. I went to business school to try to figure out what type of marketing or what type of industry I wanted to work in and very quickly caught the startup bug. And so my passion was really, how do I use the skills that I have for products and services that are changing the way that people go about their lives in a positive way? So that became my North Star out of school. And I, you know, did my internship at Apple doing iPhone app marketing and early kind of app store days and apps were changing the way people worked and then or did went about their day-to-day lives and then um, went to Facebook after school. And certainly Facebook was changing the way that people connect, the way businesses connect to people and really kind of the whole broader culture. And so while it wasn't a startup startup at the time, it was still very early in a big shift that was taking place. And I was excited about the idea of contributing to what that could look like. Uh, when I'd been at Facebook for five years, I had gotten to do business marketing there, mobile product marketing there, brand marketing there, and really gotten a broad array of skills through that. I learned a ton in my experience there. And 2015 was when I had my first child. So one of those life moments that makes you question everything. Um, and, you know, kind of was taking stock of what I wanted to do next. It was more important than ever to feel like the time that I was spending in my work felt deeply meaningful and impactful. And I wanted to make sure I was working directly in a space that I felt like I could feel the tangible results of of those and uh, people experiencing the product or service. And so education quickly uh, came to the top of the list of domains I was interested in. Uh, But Facebook also gave me the bug for scale, right? And so I really was passionate about finding a place where you could have that transformative impact and deep impact, but at that global scale. And so Coursera was pretty uniquely positioned to be able to have that deep transformative impact at high scale. And so, uh, and the second thing was very important to me was also working in a place where I felt like I could make my work work around my life and not the other way around, which is something that I talk about a lot with our team. Um, And so Coursera was a perfect fit of uh, being able to really connect with a mission I was passionate about, feel deep impact. Um, You know, we talk about how education is not the solution to every problem, but it's part of the solution to literally every problem um, and can help humanity solve the world's problems. And so I can't imagine kind of a greater cause to be working for. And uh, the team was fantastic. The culture of the company was fantastic. And so it was a, it was a great fit for those reasons. Yeah, went in six years ago or so, uh, and marketing was a few people. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how you started. How mm-hmm. did you decide what to work on, what capabilities yeah. to build, what was most important to do first? So tell us a bit about, not everyone has that uh, you know, opportunity to build right. something almost from scratch. 
Yeah. And so um, Coursera had hired its first CMO, Kurt Apen, a couple months before I started. I was hired, as you mentioned, to lead brand and product marketing. And my counterpart, Rachel, who is our VP of consumer marketing still today, was hired to lead acquisition and retention marketing. And our entire team, I, I was working with a PR manager and a social media marketing manager on my team. And she had uh, one woman who's also still here who was responsible for SEO, email, and partnerships. Um, so that was our small and mighty team. And I like to call my first year and a half at Coursera my rotation program. Um, so in terms of how to decide what to work on, um, you know, I had had experience in many different areas of marketing. And so it was really, uh, you know, what is the company trying to do next? And I just took the orientation of how can my marketing skills help the company do that better than it had done in the past. And so I was clearly hired to lead the brand strategy effort. So that was really the first few months working with our founder, Daphne Kohler, especially on you know, really clarifying our vision and our brand strategy and our brand positioning and all of that. Um, and then we were launching a bunch of uh, pricing changes. And so then I immediately realized you need we need to support this with product marketing and we need to be really thoughtful about what we're rolling out and how we communicate it and all of that. And so the next three months, I basically did all product marketing and then I hired a product marketer once that value was understood to take over. And then we had our partners conference coming up and um, it had been run out of our partnership team. And I was like, we can do make this even bigger and better with marketing support. And so um, really spent the next three months on our uh, our partner conference and then was able to hire a partner marketing manager to do that. And then we launched our enterprise business and you know we needed to clarify our positioning and messaging for our enterprise business. And so did that. And then we hired an enterprise marketing manager. And so it truly was kind of, you know, building one function at a time by, by jumping in, um, demonstrating the value that marketing could provide to the company and then growing it from there. Um, and over time, of course, uh, we, as we scaled up, we hired a fantastic comms leader who took over the comms function, a fantastic enterprise marketing leader who took over that. Um, and similarly, Rachel on our acquisition and retention team was going kind of channel by channel and building out um, the impact of our various marketing channels and then hiring people to lead those as more specialists. So it was, we were kind of building in parallel. <laughs> in 2018, you were promoted to CMO. And you've also had quite a run since then. I mean, 2021, we talked about that already. But in 2020, if I get the numbers right, you added like 31 million new users. And the year before that, you added nine, which is also a good big number for a company your size. Mm -hmm. So you went from 9 million new customers to 31 million new customers. What did you learn in that time <laughs> about, about your customers? What were their passions, their interests? Mm -hmm. You know, what was behind the surge? I know it was the pandemic <laughs> and there was a lot of things going on, but what within that did yeah. you learn about your customers that was most interesting for our listeners? Yeah, uh, well, definitely the pandemic helped. Um, and so I won't, we, I cannot take all credit for that for sure. Um, but I think what was, what was good is we did have a number of channels that, like I mentioned, we had built out over time. So as, as that attention shifted to online learning, we could really scale up and be where people were, um, where they were looking, whether it be through SEO or through our partner marketing efforts or through um, our, our uh, paid channels. And so 
we did have the ability to scale up quickly. Uh, and I think the biggest thing that was evident through that time frame is that, you know, when there is an acute need, people will learn, right? Like learning is not the same thing as watching YouTube at night. Um, it's, it is hard work. And, you know, yes, there is a segment of learners who are passionate learners and that's how they want to spend their evenings. Um, but there are also many learners who could benefit and, and, you know, grow themselves and and their professions and their opportunities in life through learning. And during this time, we had much more people with that acute need to learn coming to Coursera. And that could be an acute need to learn because, they needed something like the science of well-being to help them get through a hard time or a professional certificate that could get them a new job as they were trying to get back on their feet. Um, and so I think really uh, it, it allowed us to take a more segmented view to how we could really serve those more specific needs of different learners. And that's something that we're carrying forward in terms of how we're focusing our teams, how we're building product experiences and things like that to really be specific about the the deeper needs that people are coming to Coursera for, whether that's getting a new job, uh, trying to get a degree credential and and things like that. So what categories were most active during that time? There was a lot of, and it kind of mimics that breakdown that I was just talking about. So uh, Mm -hmm. the science of well-being was a hit course during that time. So there was that emotional well-being piece that was really important. Um, And then there was also a lot of people coming for career credentials. So Um, The Google IT Support Professional Certificate, um, for example, is one of our portfolio of professional certificates that prepare people for those entry-level jobs, um, as well as some of the uh, core um, data science skills that people know Coursera for. So a lot of those, it was that mix of kind of mental well-being plus job-aligned training that really accelerated. What did you learn about your company during that surge? I always believed in our company and how special the culture was, but I think you really got to see it come to life and um, in the way that people supported each other and the way it feels in many cases like a family. So I think we were able to pivot really fast towards, um, you know, we we had been a culture of people coming to the office in person, a lot of in-person collaboration. Um, we very quickly pivoted to enabling people home and now we're, our entire workforce strategy is a fully remote strategy. So we have our offices for more collaboration and bringing people together, but people have relocated all over the world and all over the United States. um, And we've fully embraced that. Um, And I think also we're able to have, um, you know, really real conversations around the company about uh, how people were struggling, how we could support them if their, them or their family members needed help on the medical front. Um, And I think it was reflective also of our company's responses. The Black Lives Matter movement really rolled out and we really turned inward to understand how we could grow um, and what we could do as a company for our employees and and our our customers and learners to make an impact in a positive way. So you are now uh, 100% remote. Mm-hmm. You have offices for collaboration, for meetings, but that's your strategy going forward. Yes, yes. We're fully remote. We're encouraging people to relocate. It's a huge part of our strategy has also been to really invest in uh, more diverse recruiting efforts. And it's been a fantastic uh, tool to be able to recruit people from all over um, all over the country and all over the world. It allows us to tap into really great talent sources 
that we weren't, we didn't have access to before um, and hopefully also retain people. I mean, we have people moving closer to their families, to where they are from, to where they've always wanted to live. We have people who can, um, I spent a month in Vermont where my husband's from this summer with my family working from there, which I never would have been able to do before. So it just enables all kinds of um, flexibility that I hope makes work more sustainable long-term. What are you learning about keeping your culture the way it, you know, it's an amazing culture. You've been talking about it. You're mm -hmm. scaling now. You're going remote. You're growing like crazy. I'm finding a lot of companies are struggling with this. They want to go remote, but they're, they just wonder how will we continue to build the special culture that mm -hmm. we have and to never get complacent about that, continue to build on it. Yeah. What are you learning, Kim, you and your leadership team about doing that in this remote mm -hmm. world? It's definitely a work in progress, so I'm sure we're going to keep encountering new things we need to improve. Um, but I think at the core, it's making sure that we as leaders are still finding opportunities to be vulnerable with the team and open with the team. And we have company all hands and um, we rotate through who hosts those. And I think a lot of times get quite personal in terms of um, what people are going through, challenged with, working towards, proud of, um, all of the things, uh, and creating those spaces for our teams as well. So um, it's important to find ways to get to deeper conversation. Um, and so it's easy. I think initially everyone went to, how do we stay connected? And we need stand-ups every day and we need, um, you know, more Slack channels and more meetings. And we've realized that kind of meeting cadence has gone through the roof and Slack channels have gone through the roof, but that doesn't, that's not a replacement for, um, intimacy and relationships. Right. And so, um, now we're trying to take a different approach of let's limit meetings to when they're really, really required, um, so that people have time to actually work. Um, cause everyone, you know, is now much less separation between work and non-work time. Um, but, but build time for more, connection time, um, more human connection time. Um, and I think that's, that's been working the best so far, but we'll continue to have to, you know, iterate on it. And, you know, I'm hopeful that there's a world where we can have both, right. So we can bring people together in person a few times a year and, and have those social interactions in person, and then also have, you know, the rest of the time that we can be remote and flexible. How are you different as a leader, Kim, than you were 18 months ago after going through all this tremendous change? Um, I think I, I've always erred on the side of openness, um, but I think even more so, you know, kind of letting the good, the bad and the ugly all hang out, especially as we're all making it work at home um, is something that I've become more and more comfortable with. Um, so it's not uncommon where I, you know, um, have a kid running in like everybody else, or I'm still, you know, you know, getting ready for the day as I'm starting a call because I was dropping someone off and all of that. So um, I think that's one area. And I think the other is, um, like I mentioned, just really focusing more on how to build I don't know if this is necessarily a result of the pandemic, but one of the ways I think I've changed the most is really thinking about our marketing leadership team as almost like a sports team where it's not about my relationship one-to-one -one with one of my direct reports, but it's actually us as a collective team and how we each understand what we're each trying to work on to be kind of our best selves um, and, and can hold each other accountable instead of it just being that upward and downward relationship. And 
um, as someone who played sports my whole life and is the child of two coaches, um, that's very much my comfort zone. Um, and so I've really loved shifting to that orientation of really looking at our leadership team as a, a team, not a set of individuals who are leaders, uh, where we're, we're really trying to bring the best out of each other. Are you meeting with your team and your direct reports more or less than before the pandemic? Slightly more, um, mm -hmm. slightly more. So, but I think it's more, our general meetings are similar, but I think we've actually built a little bit more time for more of those um, kind of checking in on how we're doing conversations, um, seeing what's working and what's not. So I think we're having much better, more meaningful conversations uh, than we used to be, which is, you know, it's easy to get into the tactical and operational all the time. Um, and so we're having more conversations that get out of that zone towards more, um, you know, deeper ways that we can support each other in our work and more strategic conversations as well. Now, I want to go back to one more element of 2020, and that was all of these new consumers, the 31 million mm -hmm. who came in. Uh, I don't know if you call them consumers, you probably don't, but learners. people who came into your brand. <laughs> learners, that's better, way better. <laughs> learners come into your brand. Uh, what, you know, so many, so many people, so many CMOs have had a lot of new customers, mm -hmm. learners, you know, consumers into their brand, and they're all trying to figure out how to keep them yep. and how to make them part of their community. Mm -hmm. And what have you learned about all these, the surge of new learners? Yeah. And how to keep them with your brand. What's your playbook for that? What are some of the strategies you're following? What are you learning? Yeah. So uh, we definitely do have a unique position this year where we have all these people who have joined Coursera. Um, and uh, learning tends to be a more episodic um, purchase. I don't know if that's the right word. Activity mm -hmm. uh, yeah. to start with. And so our strategy all along has really been to form that relationship with someone and then be able to map kind of where they are in their personal journey from, um, you know, student through professional lives and beyond and understand kind of where they are. So for example, uh, you know, a quintessential never exactly what happens uh customer journey might be someone joins Coursera as a Coursera for Campus learner through our enterprise program as a student on campus. They go on to be an individual consumer learner consuming courses or projects um, or professional certificates to either get their first job or get skills on their first job. They realize they want a master's degree and they come back to Coursera to get that degree. And then they're later managing a team and they want to buy Coursera for their team as an enterprise customer. And so we refer to that as the lifecycle marketing engine. And what we're really trying to build are is the kind of data and technology tools that enable us to identify where someone likely is in their journey and how to get them to that next step at the right time. And so uh, that is even more pronounced now um, as we have all of these new learners coming in. And so we have put more emphasis this year on how do we activate learners to make sure that they actually are learning, since that's one of the biggest predictors that they'll come back and do other things with us later. Many people come to Coursera and then, you know, it's how do we get them actually in a course and learning something. Um, so that has been more of a focus this year, that activation piece than it has in the past. Um, as well as reactivation. So how do we keep them engaged and interested? And we work very closely with our data science teams on, on all kinds of models that, that help us do that. You're the first 
CMO in the online learning space we've had. So I'd like you to, you've already talked about this a bit, but I'd like you to tell us about your job a bit more. You know, you came Uh in six years ago, you've been CMO for three years, you've talked about that, but where do you really spend your time, your personal time? Mm -hmm. How do you make those choices? Uh, How do you measure success in your role? So could you take us a little bit more into the details of what you do? Sure. So at the highest level, um, our CEO, Jeff, looks at me and he says, your job is to, is this 30-30 rule? And it's not the it's not the show, not the sports show, um, but it's basically your job is to make sure that Coursera continues to grow revenue over 30% every year and do that at a sales and marketing percent of revenue at 30% or less. So the efficiency is a huge part of our business model because it's the lowering of the customer acquisition cost that allows us to lower the cost of education and make it much more affordable and accessible to people around the world. So marketing efficiency is actually built into the value proposition of our product, which is which is somewhat unique, I think. Um, and so the things that I think about a lot are both, you know, what are the big bets that are going to help drive our growth across the business? We have, you know, three revenue lines enterprise degrees and consumer revenue. And so uh, what are the big bets that are going to be our growth drivers for those? And then how do we make sure we can tackle those in a way that's going to be efficient? So we spend a lot of time looking at um, how our LTV or lifetime value to customer acquisition cost is looking across different uh, across different segments and channels to think about where we have more room for growth and efficiency. Um, and then we also think about um, how can we look for, I spend time also just, how do we look for those opportunities where something that we're doing in one part of our business could really help accelerate something in another part of our business? So how do we look for those um, those opportunities? And a big way that that comes through is just designing more about the learner pathways and journeys that we're able to create for learners. And so, you know, one of our values is learner learners first. Um, and uh, this is a great opportunity to really think about that. So how do we think about, you know, the this large unemployed workforce, many of whom maybe don't have a bachelor's degree? How do we think about the pathway that's going to get them into their first, you know, high demand job through a professional certificate and then, you know, actually allow them to earn a, a good living and then use that to actually count for credit and entrance uh, for a bachelor's degree, like our University of London bachelor's degree in computer science? Um, which, you know, then, you know, they can complete their bachelor's while they're still working and, you know, really kind of sky's the limit from there in terms of what they're able to accomplish. So that's just an example of kind of thinking about how something that we're doing in one area could fuel another and really get learners to those outcomes. A lot of CMOs don't have a terribly clear brief from their CEO. (laughs) Yes, mine's very clear. Yours is extremely (laughs) clear. And I love that. Hey, tell us a little bit more about your relationship with Jeff. You know, that's such an important relationship, CMO, CEO. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've you've talked about him very, uh, you know, favorably several times already in the podcast. How have you built that relationship? What kinds of things do you two work on together? When do you bring him into things? So tell Mm -hmm. us how you built such a strong relationship. I think when I think about my job, I think about it as how can marketing serve the business versus versus, you know, what marketing should or shouldn't be doing. And so my orientation is very much towards, you know, what is the next most important? How can I take my understanding of our learners and customers 
and our product and understand where we could be going next uh, that is most important to the business, you know, taking our overall strategy and competitive landscape and trends all into account. And so um, I think that has been a place that was kind of the foundation of where we started working together. Um, we have a, a three-year strategy process at Coursera where we really look at, you know, that full lens and try to figure out what we need to be, what needs to change in in three years. And so really taking that kind of business model approach to driving our strategy allows us to connect well in terms of, you know, what we need to be doing next, how to invest next. Um, and so I definitely look at him more as a partner in helping get his feedback on where we should be driving that growth from and where we want to place bets or what we could be doing. Um, and luckily our CFO also has a very growth mind. Yeah. <laughs> other, other view of a growth mindset. He has a growth mindset in both ways. Um, but he's very oriented towards growth. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, willingness to take both a short-term performance view as well as a long-term, if this is what we're building, what do we need to be investing in today to get there? And I think that creates a really nice balance where we can take some risks that, you know, may not have the same immediate return, but still, you know, still keep that efficiency in mind for the majority of our activities, which are more performance-based. So I think that balance has been really good. How do you keep the discipline, Kim, of working on the future, the three-year plan and what's beyond that even versus working on today? That's a tough tension. And I think yeah. a lot of people get sucked up into today. And if they're not preparing their company for the future, I don't think CMOs are doing their work or CEOs yeah. are doing their work. So how do you keep that discipline? We actually have a really good operating structure at the company level that helps build some of that in. So every spring we go through three-year strategy planning at the company level, and then each of our departments builds on that. So we have a three-year strategy from a marketing and comms perspective that shows, you know, in order to accomplish those company goals three years from now, here's what needs to be most different about our department. Here are the key things we need to prove. And here's where we're going to need to invest the most. Um, and so that really gives you that longer term grounding. Then every summer we go through a workforce vision exercise, which is much more about skills and capabilities and staffing ratios um, that will enable us to get towards that three-year vision. And then in the fall, we go into our next year planning cycle, uh, which, and, and both in the three-year plan and the one-year plan is an opportunity for growth bets, which is a way that we drive, you know, innovation and big, big idea thinking in the company as well. Um, and so those really give us very clear times of year where we're bringing people together and thinking about those long-term views. Um, you know, in between those things, I certainly try to keep up on, you know, some marketing professional networks and what's going on in our industry through readings and podcasts, things like that. But, um, you know, I think the, the, uh, the structure that we have as a company is a huge advantage and, and being able to do that and bringing the larger teams in to contribute to it. When you think of Coursera at the end of your current three-year strategic plan, Mm -hmm. I don't want you to give away anything here, but I'm just wondering, <laughs> as you look out, what do you think is the most important muscle to build in your marketing group or the, the most important capability to double down on or, or bringing a new type of capability? So how do you think about that? So this year, we have definitely built a lot of new capabilities that kind of came out of our plan last year. So uh, you mentioned before asking about kind of our remit and team. So specifically on, on our marketing comms leadership team, we have 
a head of consumer marketing, a head of enterprise marketing, head of comms and head of brand and creative. And that team has been in place for a while. This year, we added um, a head of EMEA marketing, a head of APAC marketing. Um, we can, brought together product marketing under one leader instead of embedding them um, and added strategy and operations. So a lot of what we're doing right now is scaling that global marketing effort um, and uh, with that comes new complexities in terms of matrixing and alignment and all of that. And so I think a lot of what we've been doing is try to really strengthen that that team and understanding of, of where we're going in the collaboration to figure out how we're best going to get there. Um, so from a three-year perspective, I do think we'll continue to get more global. We'll continue to invest in one unified lifecycle marketing engine like I talked about. So uh, really making sure that as uh, registrants come to the top of the funnel um, and learners come into Coursera, we're getting them to the products that they most need across enterprise and consumer. Um, and then finally, I think really figuring out how to elevate our Coursera's brand. And so we we have the privilege of getting to work on this amazing purpose. And once people have uh, experienced Coursera, the great news is they largely feel part of that mission and really understand it internally. And so one of the things that I want to make sure we accomplish is figuring out how to make our brand even more participatory, um, enable people to contribute towards that mission, whether they're learning today or not. Um, and so that's one of the things I get most excited about, about what I want us to be accomplishing three years out. Where do you look for inspiration, uh, both you and your team? What, what, where do you look inside, outside? Mm -hmm. Our learners, it's so easy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, the, the, we are, um, it's one of the things that I love most about my job when I first started at Coursera and I was putting together and creating a lot of our early learner stories. And we just have, you know, databases of these incredible learner stories and each one is so powerful. Right. And so, you know, one of my favorite recent ones is a woman named Chelsea and she's from Tennessee and she was was in a homeless shelter. She has two daughters and she launched a new career through the Google IT support certificate and is now working at Google. I mean, these, these stories wow. are, are incredible. And so that's a recent one. And one of my favorite, um, initial from one of my earliest stories that I was, uh, uh, hearing about was a woman named Balesh in India. And she, uh, was taking a social psychology course and was working on this day of compassion. And she ended up doing a whole project around, sexual abuse in rural India. And that, uh, that project became her lifelong career and passion. And now she is teaching in schools all across India about sexual abuse and prevention and all of this. And she talks in that story about the ripple effect that something like this has. And so what, um, what I like to think about as we tell our stories is how far out in the ripple can we get? So there's certainly, you know, people who come to Coursera and they get a new job and that's wonderful. That's a transactional outcome, right? But it's a very big one, important one, and an awesome one. But how do we then understand, you know, what did that do? And it's usually, I now have confidence that no matter what is thrown at me, I can, you know, I have control of my life. I have agency in my life. I can accomplish my my dreams and I'm in control. Um, so that is the kind of the emotional component that goes to that. And then beyond that, what did that do for their family? And how did it allow them to provide an example for their daughter that you never stop learning. Um, and I, I always, I am like notorious for getting teared up as I talk about learner stories because they're so amazing. Um, and then ultimately beyond your family, how does that impact your community? And so many of our learners that have had the biggest 
impacts actually go on to give back to their communities, um, whether it's through a nonprofit that they start or community work or whatnot. And so um, it's really easy to be inspired when you have stories like that in front of you every day. How do you intentionally find those stories and spend time with those stories? I mean, what how do you do that? Like you have a day in the week where you say, I want to really immerse myself with the learners or it just sort of happens as part of your fabric of daily life. We have it as part of our fabric in the company. So we share learner stories at our all hands presentations. Um, our social team is sharing them out on social all the time. So they often will share in our marketing Slack channel, the latest um, story that they've seen. Um, so it, it's very much kind of embedded. It's something that we try to weave into our culture with really emphasizing that learner first value and try to share around the company. Kim, before moving to the creative brief section, which is where we close the podcast, I would like you to comment briefly on two issues that I think you are uniquely positioned to comment on. And one is obviously online learning and and your advice maybe to the CMOs out there who are trying to build their organization's capability, trying to build the culture of lifelong learners and people who are always Mm -hmm. stretching and self-improving. What's your advice to them to to use your resources, other resources to the maximum so that they build a learning organization? Yeah. So just to promote for a second, um, we do have a marketing academy within our Coursera for Business offering, which has skill sets for all marketers, right? And so it's a great uh, it's a great tool to, like we were talking about earlier, give marketing teams skills from many of the best companies and universities around the world. So I will say that. Um, but beyond that, I think just um, uh, there are learning happens when there's a need for most people. Um, and so really continuing to focus on how to tie learning to core objectives that people care about. So whether it's, you know, at Coursera, we weave it into our performance reviews. So, you know, every time we go through a review cycle, we have learning goals. Um, and those learning goals ties tie to, you know, course areas that you can learn through Coursera or, or things, heaven forbid, that you could learn outside of Coursera. <laughs> um, uh, but I think that culture of, you know, this is a skill you need to develop. Here's a learning option to get you there um, is critical because if it's just, you know, pick it up. It's a good idea. Um, you know, I think you're going to get pretty limited uptick. And so I think really building it into how you think about, um, people development at your company is a key thing. What do you think online learning will look like a decade from now? I hope it's just learning. You know, when I think about the future, I guess maybe it's less about online learning exactly what it looks like, but more how people feel about it. Um, and I, I hope that in the future, it's not this question of, you know, my opportunity slipped me by. It's just, oh, I want to do that. Okay, I'm going to go here and accomplish that today. I'm going to get this skill. I'm going to get that degree. I'm going to get that job. Or I'm going to go take a bunch of courses and figure out what job I want. Like, the opportunity is there. It's hard work, um, but the opportunity is there. And so I hope uh, I hope that that's just kind of a societal shift uh, where people feel there are so many great learning options out there and they're accessible. And, um, you know, there are ways that there are ways I can work around cost limitations. I can work around physical distance limitations. I can work around, um, time limitations and, uh, I don't have to have a certain GPA to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I didn't have to go to a certain school or major in a certain thing. So 
that's what I hope I hope happens in the future. What do you think the biggest barrier is to that, Kim? I mean, is is it people's self-awareness of what they want to do? What do you think gets in the way of that vision 10 years out? So time and money are, are real hurdles. So many people I don't think are aware of how um, cost, how many cost effective, like very affordable options there are and, and all the offerings around financial aid and, and all these opportunities. Um, so I do think there's a cost barrier, but I think the, the biggest one, because I think the cost barrier is, is um, there's a lot of opportunities around. Um, I think the biggest one is, is time. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are juggling and, you know, in a pandemic even more so many competing priorities. And so, um, figuring out and having the confidence that if I do this thing and if I take out this time, I'm actually going to get the reward. Um, and so with that, I think there is a proliferation of options. Um, and I think that that is somewhat, we know people can feel overwhelmed when it's, you know, how do I know what I'm really going to get out of this learning opportunity and is it the right one for me um, and, and help them find those matches. So that's another area where I hope um, online learning is much clearer in the future is just in terms of uh, learner outcomes and results so that people feel much more confidence that if I am going to put in this time and energy and dedication, I'm clear on what I'm going to get out of it and it's going to be worth it. The second area I want you to speak to is social media obviously with your background mm-hmm. in Facebook and you're now leverage social media big time with Coursera. It's a tough space right now to navigate and you're yeah. as well aware as anyone of all of the stuff that's happened in the last year, year and a half. So what's your counsel to CMOs out there who are trying to navigate the space, do the right thing, do the right thing for their brand, mm-hmm. for their customers, their consumers. So what's your counsel? Yeah. So we, um, over the past year and a half probably have developed a series of, of guidelines, um, things like uh, that are rooted in kind of our brand and DNA and what we're, uh, what our mission is in the world. Um, and so those guidelines are intended to help us give direction of, you know, who should we partner with or who should we not partner with? When would we stop participating with a partner um, what type of content is allowed on the platform or not? Um, uh, or what type of social topics do we comment on or not? Um, and so I think taking the time to think about, you know, what framework do we want to apply to evaluate the questions like this that will come up in the future uh, has both been really good in building them to really have a framework that aligns to our mission and values that allows us to make those decisions in the present as well as gives us a tool in the future to to make decisions based on. So they're not perfect and many of these things are not black and white, um, but it at least gives us a framework to act on and and rash and and apply reason to the decisions that we make, which I think is important both as a brand as and and for our employees and our teams especially as well who all you know, feel very passionately about many of these topics. How did you build the framework? Was it with your um, your employees, with your partners, a little bit of both? Uh, a little bit of both. So um, myself, our head of comms, Jeff, um, and, and our kind of executive team was, was the first pass. And we definitely validated it with employees in different areas um, and also uh, clearly with partners as well, who's, you know, ultimately it's their content on Coursera. That's, that's what is offered. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely validating with different stakeholders and kind of pressure testing, um, 
you know, are there things we should tweak about this? Like, let's use some examples and run through them. Do they get to outcomes that we think are in line with what we, the decisions we would want to make? Let's move to the creative brief. And my first question <laughs> is, what's the initiative or uh, marketing event or campaign that you are most proud of in your young career? Young career, you threw a curveball at me. I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, the one that I'm most proud of is our brand relaunch that we did in December. Um, and particularly with that, uh, the a brand, we wrote a manifesto to go with Coursera's brand and a brand anthem video. Um, and I'm just really proud of of the expression of what that is and the clarity that it provides about what Coursera is in the world to do. I'm happy to read it if you want me to, but I, will, I won't if you don't want me to. <laughs> go ahead, no, please. Uh, all right, so we are Coursera's manifesto, which is really you know why we exist in the world, is that learning is the source of human progress. It has the power to transform our world from illness to health, from poverty to prosperity, from conflict to peace. It has the power to transform our lives for ourselves, for our families, for our communities. No matter who we are or where we are, learning empowers us to change and grow and redefine what's possible. That's why access to the best learning is a right, not a privilege. And that's why Coursera is here. We partner with the best institutions to bring the best learning to every corner of the world so that anyone anywhere has the power to transform their life through learning. So that is our manifesto and our brand anthem video was learners around the world um, reciting that in their own environments. And um, that expression I just find so inspiring and something that I hope we are able to share um, in much broader ways uh, for people to participate in in the future. Kim, tell me a little bit more about that manifesto. It's beautiful, by the way. Uh, how was it? What, what, who did it? Who created it? And how is it being used within your organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of it was actually kind of co-written um, with our Stephanie Hale, our senior director of brand and creative, with Jeff um, and myself, and uh, really kind of iterations through that. Um, we did have an agency support from some of our, for, through some of our uh, brand relaunch, but um, the manifesto was really largely ours. Um, and we use it, we use it in new hire orientation kits. Um, we talk about it to, um, we refer back to it uh, in a number of presentations that Jeff gives, um, keynotes, things like that. Um, and we uh, definitely also, um, we'll read it as part of our internal all hands and things like that also. But it's the first thing you get when you become an employee of Coursera is a, is a box with that on top. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? I mean, I have to, I think, say my parents in a lot of ways, um, like I mentioned, they were coaches. And so, so many of the values that are important to me came from them. Um, and, you know, things like, always do your best. If, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well, that growth mindset, like don't, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, just get better each time and, and make sure you've done your best. Um, the team orientation of, you know, building each other up, supporting each other, um, and really trying to kind of leave the world and you, the people around you better than, than they were before they interacted with you. What's the next Coursera learning experience you're looking forward to? Probably a guided project. So we have guided projects where you can learn an, a new uh, tool uh, and you can actually follow along side by side and you don't need to download any technology. And so 
Um, I have been, I was about to start one and I didn't, but I want to do a scratch one with my daughter actually, um, to help her learn scratch. That's what I'm most excited about. So if I had your three kids on this podcast, what would they want me to ask you about? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) What, when is mommy going to come play next? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast, Kim? Ooh. Um, well, one of my mentors who I love is Rebecca Van Dyke. Um, and I think I've learned a lot from her. She is uh, the C- a CMO of uh, Facebook working on AR and VR. Um, and from a leadership perspective, I think I learned the most from her, um, from anyone else. And I think she's fantastic. Oh, we haven't had her on. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. So maybe we'll ask for, for your help on that. I think yeah. that would be a great discussion. Awesome. Kim, last word to you. Anything for me before signing off? Um, no, thank you for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. And um, I love I love nothing more than sharing uh, the stories of our learners and our mission. So thank you for the opportunity. It's been a great discussion. And I love your mission. I love your purpose. I think the manifesto is beautiful. So I think this is an inspiration for many people who are on the purpose journey. Here's a, here's a, a leader and a company doing it extremely well. Thank you. That was my conversation with Kim Kaldbeck. Three takeaways in this one for your business and life. The first one, a real fundamental one. Be inspired by your customers, your consumers, or in Coursera's language, their learners. Kim talked about how the entire team is inspired every day. It's in the fabric of their life, the fabric of their business. They're inspired by their learners. They learn from their learners, and they base a lot of their innovation and their product development on their learners' inspiration. Second takeaway, how to build a culture when everyone is remote. During the pandemic, Coursera decided that they would permanently be remote and come together for special events, for certain team meetings. They're very disciplined about when and why they meet. So this is a lesson in how to build a culture of purpose at a time when everyone is remote. Third takeaway, the role of a manifesto in building a purpose-based culture. Kim is so moved by the manifesto that they created at Coursera about their role in this world. She read it on the podcast and clearly was emotionally touched by it. She spoke in detail about how they leverage the manifesto with new hires and the role that the manifesto plays in daily life. Manifesto is a powerful word and the impact of it can be very powerful in your organization. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.